You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist at the Post. Cybersecurity is one of America's and the world's biggest problems. Here today to talk to us about the challenges that lie ahead is the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at the Department of Homeland Security, Jen Easterly. Jen has a remarkable resume. She was a West Point graduate in 1990. She was a Rhodes Scholar right after that. She is a veteran of our super secret code-breaking agency, the National Security Agency. She was unanimously confirmed by the Senate. How often does that happen? Director Easterly, welcome to Washington Post Live. Hi, David, great to be with you. So let's start with the latest news in the last couple of days. The world experienced a global outage uh, yesterday of Facebook, uh, Instagram, a service that it, that it owns, uh, and WhatsApp, at least in, in some areas. It's probably too early to, to say with any precision what happened in this outage, but a sense uh, of what people experienced and what can be done by the companies, by the public, uh, to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future? Yeah, uh, great question. So uh, from everything that I have seen, this was not any sort of malicious attack or hack. It was really a uh, configuration error. It was a technology outage. Uh, I think it actually speaks to the point you just showed a clip uh, of me talking about resilience. And I think that is the key lesson learned here. You know, I spent the past four and a half years in the private sector at Morgan Stanley, I went there to build our cyber fusion center to be the center of gravity for how we protect the bank in cyberspace. But I ended up as the head of firm resilience. And I really think that's a recognition that there are so many bad things out there that can disrupt uh, our business, whether you're a business uh, leader or whether you're in government, and you're worried about things like critical infrastructure as I am. And so in many ways, you have to expect that a disruption will occur, and therefore you have to do everything you can to prepare for it, uh, be able to respond to it, recover from it, to mitigate uh, any damage to your, uh, to your nation, to your critical infrastructure, to your business model, to your uh, customers and clients. And so the way that environments uh, are built these days is really with that resilience uh, baked in and security baked in. And that's a lesson learned for all of us, whether we're in business, uh, large or small, or in the government doing what we do at CISA, which is uh, leading the national effort to understand and manage and reduce risk to our cyber and our physical infrastructure. So resilience really is the name of the game. So I'm just curious what things were like yesterday at, at CISA, at your agency, when uh, this outage happened. I assume that there's a kind of a rush to figure out what's going on, uh, questions asked. Were you in touch with the company and its engineers uh, through, uh, through CISA yesterday? Uh, we were not directly in touch. My op center is uh, configured to monitor all of this information. Uh, and so as soon as we saw indications of it, uh, we began monitoring it. And, you know, late into, I think it was into the evening when we learned that uh, it was in fact a configuration error, but we also monitor everything, uh, other signs because if this had been some sort of a 
uh, a major cyber incident, we wanted to make sure that we were keeping an eye on all other critical, you know, critical infrastructure that could be impacted as well. So we have capabilities in our op center to be able to understand the environment and make sure that we are leaning forward if there are incidents and we need to be able to prepare to respond to them uh, to help uh, any of our partners recover. And then importantly, to be able to take in information that will allow us to share that information broadly. And this is one of the things I, that I talk about, David, is CISA's superpower, which is really our ability through statute to be able to share many to many to allow us to warn other potential victims had it been uh, something more serious than a technology outage. We'll come back to, to Facebook in a few minutes in a different context, but I want to ask you about another question in the in the recent news. Last month, we had a, a session on Washington Post Live with Brad Smith, uh, who's the president of, of Microsoft, I'm sure well, talking about the devastating SolarWinds uh, hack. Tell us a bit about what CISA has done in response to SolarWinds in safer today uh, against such a, a, a vulnerability that can go away in this case to the to the cloud itself which we like to think of as invulnerable tell us about what you've done and, and tell us also about the ways in which we're still vulnerable to a, a very deliberate well-planned attack like this yeah so you know i was still in the private sector when solar winds uh, was revealed it was interesting i saw it from the perspective uh, of a global bank and you know it's called solar winds but there were many other vectors as i think you know and really at the end of the day um, this was a lesson learned about how you secure identity and authentication uh, in the cloud environment and so you know i listened to brad's interview and um, he's very articulate on all of these issues. I think it's really important if you look back at the arc from when this was discovered uh, in late November, revealed to the world in December, and then all of the work that's happened over the past eight months. Uh, in January, as you know, CISA was given more authority. Some of those authorities are very relevant to being able to uh, help with this particular problem on federal networks, what we call the FSEB or the Federal Civilian Executive Branch. We were also given more money uh, through the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, we actually began advocating for that when I was serving uh, as the cyber policy lead on the transition team. And so CISA ended up getting $650 million uh, and then a billion dollars was given in the Technology Modernization Fund, uh, which is very, very encouraging. And then finally, through the executive order, which was a pretty comprehensive and I think very important uh, operational document, you know, CISA is responsible for leading or for contributing to 35 uh, different taskings uh, with highly aggressive uh, deadlines within that document. I'm proud to say we've met all those deadlines to date. But if you look at that, it really addresses all of the issues uh, that we saw in SolarWinds and I think to some extent came out of uh, an after action review that was conducted. So there's a piece on uh, information sharing, changing some of the regulations to enable contractors to share more information when there are incursions that affect the uh, uh, .gov, the FSEB. Uh, there's a whole piece on there about modernizing 
networks, that's incredibly important because whether you're in industry or certainly in the federal government, we are living with tech debt. So ensuring that we're moving to secure cloud and the secure piece of that is absolutely critical and zero trust uh, environments, very important. There's also a whole sex, uh, section around visibility. How do you implement uh, what's called EDR technology, endpoint detection and response? How do you have the right logging capabilities? How do you have the right analytics? Because you know, if I were to bumper sticker it, David, uh, solar winds was largely about a lack of visibility. And if we can't see it, then we can't effectively defend. And so those components, as well as making sure that we have an incident response playbook and then uh, that we set up a cyber safety review board that allows us to look at all of these significant incidents and make sure that they do not happen uh, again, whether it's in industry or across the, the .gov. So we are hard at work making those changes. I will tell you this is not something that's going to happen uh, next week or next month, but I think we actually have a really solid roadmap to make some significant changes that will hopefully also be bolstered uh, by FISMA reform that is working its way through the Congress now as well. So, Jen, as you know, uh uh, Brad Smith argues that we need what he calls a, a digital Geneva Convention, uh, a set of rules of the road to protect us against uh, severe uh, disruptions like this. What do you and the Biden administration think of that idea? I don't want to speak specifically for the administration because I don't think we've articulated a position at this time. Certainly, I agree and have always thought that it's incredibly important uh, that like-minded nations come together and have an understanding of what those norms are of uh, responsible behavior in cyberspace. Certainly, if you look back at the group of government experts in 2015, they laid out some principles. I think those were recently revalidated, but we should think about things that we would say were off limits in terms of uh, cyber behavior, so in particular attacks against critical infrastructure, attacks against uh, public health care, attacks against uh, first responders, attacks against emergency communications, attacks that would you know, lead to uh, uh, civilian deaths, collateral damage. So I think there's a whole class of things that we could think about, and certainly Brad and his company have done some work. I know they were supportive of the, uh, the Paris call uh, and I think, you know, norms are very important. The problem, as we both know, is norms are very hard uh, to ultimately enforce. But I do think it's important to have a clear message out there about what is and what is not responsible behavior in cyberspace. That question, but it, it has very practical implications. There's always been a question about whether we need a White House cyber czar forgive the term. You're the, the administration's cyber lead, but uh, we have Ann Neuberger, your former NSA colleague in the director. I'm just wondering still whether it would be useful to have somebody who has command authority in the system that we've got is adequate. What do you think? Well, I think first and foremost, David, that uh, cyber is a team sport and always has to be a team sport. Uh, we have very talented people across the entire federal cyber ecosystem. It's pretty cool for me because I know and have worked with many of these people, uh, whether it's folks at NSA or Cybercom, 
uh, or folks here at the Department of Homeland Security or colleagues from the FBI, uh, those relationships are very strong and they need to be. You know, with respect to cyber czar, I would point you to, which I think was a, you know, you could talk about the Cyberspace Solarium Commission as a really valuable uh, contribution to cyber doctrine, cyber strategy, cyber operations. And I think one of the good things that came out of it was the instantiation of a national cyber director in Chris Inglis, uh, somebody I've known for 15 years, worked closely with, a great friend, uh, somebody who's very articulate uh, and experienced on these issues. And I think what Chris brings, because he's really genetically wired to be a collaborative team player, is uh, an ability to create even greater coherence across the federal cyber ecosystem. Uh, a friend of mine sort of likened where we are today in cyber to where we were back in 2003, 2004, when we were trying to bring the counterterrorism community, community together. And I spent a bunch of time in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, in that mission. And I think we are probably a little advanced from that because there are very good trust relationships. But I think Chris uh, can do a bunch of things. One is to help create that coherence. Uh, two, I think importantly, he can help to make sure that all of the things that we are looking to implement through the executive order, which ultimately will require uh, department and agency heads to invest in their budgets to make sure that they have the resources they need uh, to modernize and create visibility in their environments. I think Chris's position is well, uh, well postured for that. And then of course, within the National Security Council, their role is to coordinate the interagency process on policy and strategy. So the executive order was a good example of the type of thing uh, that is very useful and then gets implemented through the operational agencies. You, you know, I, I often sometimes get asked about, well, what do you do and what do they do? I think CIS's mission is very clear, right? We are uh, the nation's cyber and infrastructure defense agency. We lead the national effort to understand, manage, and reduce risks to our cyber and physical infrastructure. And we have two primary roles. One is to be the operational lead uh, for the .gov, that federal network. And two is to be the national coordinator for critical infrastructure resilience and security. So I think those operational roles are very clear. But again, I would say it's a team sport and it all comes down to relationships uh, and trust. So let, let me ask you about one thing that that seems very clearly your authority as, as the head of CISA, and that's election security coordination and the cyber component of that. Your predecessor, Chris Krebs, got fired back in November for daring to say that he thought that the election had been secure, the results had been, had been accurate. Uh, since then, we've had a lot of uh, activity that could affect the way America votes uh, in 2022 and 2024. Let me ask you what CISA is doing and can do working with uh, state and local election authorities as it did before the sure that our election results are dependable and inspire the trust of our citizens. Yeah, you know, hugely important mission. 
uh, as a retired military officer, someone who's throughout more than 30 years raised my hand to support and defend the Constitution. Uh, it's a mission that I am proud to support with respect to election security. We are the sector risk management agency for election infrastructure. And as we know, free and fair elections are really the bedrock, the foundation of our democracy. So what does that actually mean? Uh, as we know, uh, uh, elections are run by state and local officials. The federal government does not uh, run elections. So our job is to ensure that those state and local officials have all of the resources, the training, the assistance, the information that they need to ensure the safety, the security, and the resilience uh, of critical infrastructure. You know, I was a private citizen during 2020. I watched CISA from afar and my great friend and predecessor, Chris Krebs, uh, I think the whole team did an excellent job in working with that election community to help them make sure that those elections were, uh, that, that they were secure, that the infrastructure remained resilient. And since I came in as director in July, that was only confirmed by all of the meetings that I have had at the National Association of Secretaries of State uh, with the election directors uh, they have all echoed how helpful, how collaborative the relationship with CISA was. And of course, we also had uh, an election task force working closely with our FBI, uh, our NSA, and our Cybercom colleagues. So it was another example of cyber as a team sport. Uh, in this case, protecting election infrastructure is absolutely a team sport. And we are focused on moving forward. There are, in fact, elections going on all the time, as election officials remind me. Uh, and so there are a couple um, gubernatorial elections coming up uh, and some primaries coming up here in November. Uh, we are focused again on making sure that officials have the resources that they need to ensure that they can support uh, security of their election infrastructure. And then we're looking uh, at 2022. We've got a great team here uh, and I'm excited to bring on a new election security uh, lead that I hope to announce in the coming weeks, but uh, a real A team of folks to help us continue with this mission. I want to ask about uh, what has been identified as a principal threat from abroad to, to our election security, and that's Russia. President Biden raised this issue directly with President Putin uh, at their summit meeting in Geneva in June. I want to ask you, have you seen anything that suggests the Russians have taken action in a meaningful way to follow through on, on what sounded like assurances? that they took this issue, issue seriously and would, would make sure that they were more aggressive in dealing with their own hackers and the people who would interfere in, in our elections, in our infrastructure, in a range of cyber problems. Yeah, um, I have not seen any significant material changes. We have seen uh, ransomware gangs uh, that seem to have gone offline for a period of time. Uh, that's not that terribly unusual. We've seen that uh, in the past where infrastructure will come down and then it will reemerge. Uh, the ransomware gang will be renamed. Uh, this is a difficult, complicated problem. And I think to your point about uh, the president's conversation, uh, with uh, the Russians, I think this really has to be a whole of government effort. You know, with respect to where CISA is, we are all on what I would call 
uh, a focus on left of boom, we are in the space of helping build resilience to ensure that uh, everybody, businesses large and small, critical infrastructure owners and operators, understand the steps that they need to take so that they are not a victim of ransomware. We, of course, help to respond, uh, we can assist in recovery, and then we share that information to prevent future victims. But you know, we are very much focused on creating that resilience. It's one of the reasons I'm sure you know, uh, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We are very focused on making sure that everybody uh, all over the country, really all over the world, from what I like to call K through gray, uh, knows what they need to do to help protect themselves in the very complex world of cyberspace. And, you know, I think that what we've seen over the past several years, even more so, is more people went to work remotely and thus were more vulnerable uh, because they weren't in their business or office enclave, is that no one is really immune from these uh, ransomware attacks. And thus, everybody needs to understand the basic cyber hygiene steps uh, that they can take to protect themselves. So, you know, when I was bringing clients in Morgan Stanley, when I have an opportunity to talk, I point people to the basics. Over 90% of successful cyber attacks start with a phishing email, an illegitimate email that people click on, uh, and then they get uh, malware on their computer. They could get ransomware. So if people are just much more vigilant about making sure they are thinking before they click, and then what we are focused on in this month is ensuring that people are implementing what we call multi-factor authentication because those who have it are 99% less likely to get their account hacked. So David, if you don't already have MFA, uh, I'm happy to uh, give you a tutorial on it. It's very easy. Got it, but I but the tutorial would be useful for all of us. Before we run out of time, I should ask you, because it is uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we have an audience question uh, that, that focuses on that. Kim from Washington asks, what's the single most significant action a business or governmental entity can do to secure its cyber system? Oh, what a fabulous question from Kim. Uh, so we have tried to break it down and make it easy, right? This is not for the, uh, the CISOs or the technologists. This is really for uh, people who are trying to understand what's the basics that they can do. And I'm going to I'm going to uh, overachieve on this question and then kind of come back and answer it. But we talk about four things. Uh, one is updating your software. You get all those alerts that say update your software on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. Do that. You can even set up auto updates, which is great. Uh, make sure that you have strong passwords and even better, get a password manager that allows you to generate uh, strong and complex passwords for account uh, for each sensitive account that you have. Uh, make sure that you are thinking before you click. Uh, uh, threat actors like to take advantage of the fact that we all have a lot of email, we're tired, we're distracted, and they're just trying to get us uh, to click on something that will then allow them to own our information. And then finally, the one thing is implementing multi-factor authentication, which is just another step that you can give uh, that you can take to ensure that your bank, your social media, uh, your email can verify that it's actually you logging into your account. And as I said, 99% uh, less likely to get hacked if you implement MFA. We're doing it across the government. I would advise that all businesses do it and that all individuals do it. Uh, easy to do. And you'll, you'll learn more about it if you tune in uh, to our Cyber Summit, uh, which is broadcasting every Wednesday. Uh, and we'll put out more information on our website or on the Twitter account.
Okay, folks, you got it from our government's leading cyber authority. Uh, it's like getting a, a checkup from Dr. Fauci. Thank you for, for, for that. Uh, Here to um, help. So I want to ask about another initiative. You announced in August, we mentioned it in the introduction, <clears throat> the launch of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. Tell us what that is and how it's helping to enhance uh, the country's cybersecurity. So one of the things I'm most excited about, you know, uh, again, thanks to the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, they came up with this idea of a joint cyber planning office. So an ability to bring together folks in the federal cyber ecosystem and folks in the private sector to create a common operating picture of the threat environment, to plan and exercise against the most serious threats to the nation, and then to implement those cyber defense operations to drive down risk to our critical infrastructure. And so we kicked this thing off in August. We've already brought in uh, 15 what we call plank holder partners. Those partners are uh, ISPs, the cloud uh, providers, as well as the cybersecurity vendors. And the reason that we brought them in, David, was to help get at this visibility issue. Much was made of SolarWinds and the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability, the Hafnium, uh, the Hafnium events, where the issue was we did not have that visibility on domestic infrastructure. So you don't want the U.S. government operating on domestic infrastructure. What you want is to bring those who have visibility on global infrastructure together with the federal government to help in an anonymized way understand what the trends are. So that's one great thing is creating that visibility. Two is bringing by statute the power of the federal uh, cyber ecosystem. As I said, CISA, FBI, NSA, DOD, DOJ, ODNI. It's the only federal cyber entity that brings all of these, all of these uh, agencies together uh, to drive at scale uh, a reduction of risk. And so we've already uh, started uh, putting some operations into play. We're focused on uh, ransomware, of course, the uh, what the word on everybody's lips, but then also creating uh, a framework to deal with incidents on cloud providers. As everybody moves into the cloud, we want to make sure that not only are we moving there securely, but that we have a common framework to be able to respond to incidents. So very excited about it. Um, it was great after I announced this at Black Hat, we had outreach from about 120 other entities. And so we're gonna be moving forward to bring on new partners and to do new sprints in particular uh, with critical infrastructure owners and operators. So we're focusing on pipeline companies, we're focusing uh, working with finance, working with energy, uh, and excited to really operationalize this new capability to help uh, reduce risk to the nation. Well, uh, Jen Easterly, I, I'm glad that you shared with Washington Post Live some of the ideas you shared with Black Hat, which is the nation's uh, hackers uh, convention. Uh, we're really grateful to you for taking time to explain these really important issues. Thanks for being with us. Great. Thanks so much, David. Enjoy the day. So uh, thanks for watching. If you'd like to see the programming we've got coming up, go to WashingtonPostLive.com and register uh, for our conversation with Jen Easterly. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.